The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, ACF. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Brian is on vacation. He will be back next week. Um, But we are in the middle of a series called Fish On, and I am excited about this series. This morning, uh, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 4. So if you want to grab your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you're in here this morning and you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there's going to be a Bible inside kind of one of the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab that Bible. You can use that this morning. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please put your name in the Bible. That is now your Bible. We just believe uh, at ACF, everyone who comes into our doors, we want them to be able to leave owning a Bible. So please take that home with you if you don't own one. So while you're turning in Matthew chapter 4, um, I want to talk about that we are in a series called Fish On. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about being geared up, right? That if you go fishing, just like Jared was talking about, without the right gear, you're not going to catch any fish. Um, and then last week, we talked about getting in the water. And this idea, we get this in Alaska especially. Like, if you want to fish, typically, you're going to be in the water. You've got to get your waders on. You've got to get your, you know, waist uh, boots on and, and get in the water to do fishing. And, and this idea also about getting into the river versus the lake, that the lake is very comfortable. And a lot of times, we just want to hang out at the lake. Who doesn't like hanging out at the lake? I love hanging out at the lake. It's very comfortable, but that's not the life that we've called to live. We've been called to get into the river and enjoy the adventure and allow the river, uh, God's word and God's spirit to take us where he wants to lead us and not just to live comfortable lives, but dangerous lives for Jesus. So that was last week. So today we're talking about the golden rule of fishing, and that is you catch him, you clean him. So, we're talking about you catch him, you clean him this morning. And uh, so I'm going to jump into Matthew chapter 4, but I want to talk about, just set the background for you here. What's happening in Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus is just beginning for the first time his public ministry. So this is right off the bat. Jesus has been baptized. God said, this is my son. And then he goes in the desert. He gets tempted. He comes back from that. And boom, he starts his public ministry. So we're going to jump in there. It's Matthew uh, chapter 4, starting verse 12. He says, uh, and and just so you understand, if if you're not familiar with the story, this very beginning part, he's talking about John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. So it says, when he heard that John, John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that when it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun and and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan um, of Galilee, the Galilee and of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and in the shadows of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus went on preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right away, Jesus starts preaching the very thing that he continued to preach throughout his entire ministry, and that was the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we see that. And then the story continues, uh, and it says, While he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was also called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting nets into the sea, for they are fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what we're talking about today. 
we're talking about the call to discipleship. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus starts his entire ministry off with a call to discipleship. Really, the first people that he kind of encounters, he, he goes and he preaches and there's crowds that are following him, but then he, he zeroes in on some people. And when he zeroes in on them, the first thing he does is he calls them to a life of discipleship. And so today I want to start by asking you two questions. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you are, who are you discipling? You see, I, d- I believe that there's not really any more important questions than these two questions that the church of today needs to be asking itself. The church of today corporately and the church of today individually. The two questions we need to be asking ourselves are, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you are, then who are you discipling? And we're going to dive into that this morning. And so we see that Jesus puts out the call of discipleship. So this morning, I want to break discipleship into kind of three parts. We see the call, we see the challenge, and then fortunately, we also see the grace. So let's talk about those three different things. Let's start with the call. And to talk about the call, I want to actually jump over to Luke chapter 5. You don't necessarily have to turn there with your, in your Bible. I'm not going to read it verbatim. I want to talk about, see, Matthew kind of hits the main points of what was happening in ministry. It's like, okay, this is how Jesus got his disciples. He puts the call out uh, to Simon and to Andrew, and then he goes on to the next thing. Well, Luke decided he, he's very detail-oriented, and so he goes into the, more of the details of the story. And what was actually happening when Jesus meets Simon and when he meets Andrew is they had just come back from fishing all night long. They'd just come, come back from fishing all night long, and they caught nothing. That is not fun. I don't know if you've ever gone fishing for several hours and caught nothing. I don't know if you've ever been dip netting before. Those who have dip net know. You stand out there in the water with your dip net, and the person on your right, boom, catching fish. The person on your left, boom, catching fish. And you're just standing there going, okay, my turn's going to come any minute now. And you stand there for like hours on end, and nothing that hasn't happened to me before. No, that happens to me every time. Every time I'm like, what is going on? Left, right. The guy who on my, on my left comes back into the water, poof, catches another one. What is going on? There's nothing that is more infuriating than watching everybody else catch fish and you're standing there in the freezing water wasting your time. So you can imagine the frustration and the annoyance, I'm sure, that, that Simon and that Andrew had sitting there and says they were cleaning their nets when Jesus walked by. Probably thinking, oh, we got to go home empty-handed. Got to go home. We spent all night fishing, all night working, and we got paid nothing for it. And so Jesus walks by, and there's actually a crowd of people that's like following Jesus. And so he looks at Simon, he looks at Andrew, he says, hey guys, can I get in your boat? Can we push out a little ways? I want to teach kind of off the shore so everyone can hear me. And they're like, eh, all right. It's not like we have to go into town and sell our fish that we have. And so they let Jesus in the boat, and they cast out, and he starts preaching to the crowds. The crowd listens, and they're amazed, and they all go home. And then Jesus looks at Simon, and he looks at Andrew, and he says, okay, boys, throw your nets back in the water. And at this point, you can almost hear Simon's thought process, Peter's thought process. Because we get to know Peter so well through Scripture, Peter's response is, well, Jesus, (laughs) we've been fishing all night and have caught nothing. Look, I know you're a great rabbi. This is the thought process. I'm ad-libbing this part, but, you know, you can kind of think this. You're going to read your Bible and go, it doesn't say that, Luke. 
But the thought process, Peter does say, Jesus, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. And you can almost now hear this thought process of, Jesus, you're a great teacher. I just heard you. It was amazing. But you're not a fisherman. Not only you're not a fisherman, but your dad is a carpenter, not a fisherman. I know my dad and your dad play cards on the weekend. You, I just know that you do not come from a family of fishermen. I know you don't come from a history of fishing. Jesus, you are not a fisherman. You do not know the frustration I've just dealt with all night. And I kind of almost think Peter threw his nets back in the water just to prove Jesus wrong. Like, don't we ever do that? Like, you're wrong, but whatever, I'll do it. Right? And so Peter's like, okay, because you said so, Lord, I'll throw my nets back in the water. And like, wham, they get hammered with the biggest catch they've ever caught in their whole lives. And we know this, that this is the biggest catch that they've ever caught in their whole lives because they lose their minds. They start freaking out. Whoa, you're a prophet. You prophesied the run perfectly, right? Jesus, can you come down to the Kenai with me and let me know when to go in the water and when I to know not to waste my time going in the water? Prophesied the run perfectly. And, and they lose their minds. This, their minds are blown with what Jesus has done. You see, what Jesus does right here is even before he calls Simon, even before he calls Andrew, he meets them where they're at. He breaks into their lives and he gets their attention. They didn't need him to show up and, like, give them bread. They didn't need for him to show up and, you know, heal a cold or, you know, something he had. He comes and he shows up and he meets them right where they're at. And all of a sudden, he has their attention. And I'm wondering this morning how many of us, Jesus is trying to meet us where we are at, but we're not giving him our attention. You see, Peter and Andrew, they could have been like, oh my goodness, we're going to be rich, pulling all the fish in, boats are sinking. Can you believe this, Andrew? We're going to make a fortune on this. And they could have completely missed the fact of what Jesus had done. I think we do, I think I do this often where God meets me where I'm at, and I don't even recognize it's God. I don't even recognize it's God trying to get my attention for something, and I'm just like amazed at the miracle or amazed at what's happening in my life when God's trying to get my attention. So my first question is like this morning, is, is God trying to meet you where you're at today? Is he trying to get your attention, and we're too busy, too distracted with what else is going on in life, with, with, with media and with just family and just all this stuff. We're just so distracted by everything, with work, to even recognize that Jesus is trying to meet us where we're at in life. And what happens? So Jesus meets Peter where he's at. He gets his attention, and then what does he do? He calls him. Peter loses his mind, and then Jesus calls him. So the first part of, of the call to discipleship is, is the call to be with Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says, come, follow me. Come, be with me. Peter, Andrew, come and be with me. You see, this is, this is a beautiful thing. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says that God is faithful by whom you were called to be in fellowship of his son. You are called to be in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The first call of discipleship, the first call to be a disciple of Jesus is just to be with Jesus. 
Oftentimes we think discipleship is like, I got to get all this information down. I got to get my theology perfect. I got to, you know, how to speak, you know, correctly when I talk to people. I got to have this all down pat and it's all about knowing and doing. And no, the first part, the call of discipleship is to be with Jesus. Jesus desires a relationship with you this morning. See, to be with the master is to know the master. You can read about the master all you want. You can read the Bible all you want. But unless you're being with the master, you're not going to know the master. Atheists, world-renowned atheists, they know the Bible inside and out and can quote it to you left and right. Point out all its, you know, all its faults and all those kind of things. They read it. They know it, but they're not with the master. So they do not know the master. Let me explain it to you like this. I have a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends, lifelong friend. His name is Joe. And I, I just got to know Joe a few years ago. And my first idea and understanding of Joe was way off than what the reality actually was. His idea and understanding of me was way off. When we first met each other, I didn't know for on his end, he really didn't like me. And I remember walking in, I'll never forget the first time I met Joe, walk into Life Group, and I see this guy come in, and he's got all his military gear on, and he's a pretty pretty burly guy, big guy, and he's all tatted up. And just my first idea of Joe was like, whoa, this dude is like into MMA and guns. And if you know Joe, Joe is not into MMA and guns. Joe is into home decor and home decoration, and he's into Twilight, all right? And so that is what Joe was into. My first perception of Joe was way off. And now I know Joe very well because I've spent a lot of time with him. You see, the world thinks that it has this great understanding of who Jesus was and who Jesus is and who Jesus is supposed to be. But the problem is, is that the world has not spent any time with Jesus. And its first impression, its idea of Jesus is completely wrong. It really is. It's completely wrong. Even us as the church, we've begun to buy into some of these imageries and ideas and concept of who Jesus is to be in our lives. And the problem is we haven't spent enough time with him. See, to be with the master is to know the master. The first call of discipleship is to be with the master. The second call that Jesus does, come and follow me. The second call of discipleship is to be like him. It's to be like him. Come and follow me. Jesus says, <clears throat> Luke 6, 40 says, Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. See, the call is to be like Jesus. You see, it, it comes through fellowship. It comes through being with. It comes through relationship with, you, with the master that we begin to look, feel, and act like the master. If you want to look, feel, and act like Jesus then you need to be with Jesus, be with the master. See, the goal of discipleship when Jesus was walking with his disciples, again, was not just to impart information, to download, to upload the, the truth into the disciples' brains, and then now they are to go regurgitate it onto somebody else. This is what I was taught. Blah, here you go. No, it was to be in relationship with Jesus. And in doing that, in walking with him, they started to look like him. It wasn't about all the information. Don't get me wrong. The information is important. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But first and foremost, it was a call to be with. You see, uh, back in those days, uh, a call of discipleship was a very common thing. They, they understood this. It was not uncommon for someone to say, hey, come and follow me and be my disciple. Rabbis, they all had disciples. To be a teacher was to have disciples and to be a discipler. 
And so, but there was something very different that Jesus kind of flips when he becomes the discipler. You see, what, what a rabbi would do is they would come and they would get a couple of disciples and then it was to disciple them into the Torah or into the law. Here is the law. I'm going to teach you the law. Know the law. Lean on the law. And, and the idea was that the rabbi was going to take the attention of the, and the ownership of the disciple and steer it away from them and steer it onto the law so that then they could know the law inside and out. It wasn't about the rabbi. It was about the law. Well, Jesus comes and he, he twists that around. He makes everything pointed towards him. It's not about the law. It's about me. I've come to fulfill the law. I, everything is about me. I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except for me. See, the disciples heard Jesus talk about this and saw this lived out. It was all, always about Jesus. And so in our discipleship, it has to all be about Jesus and knowing him and being like him. So that's the first part, the, the call. Come follow me. The second part of discipleship is the challenge. I will make you fishers of men. See, the challenge, the first part of the challenge is to be all in. The first part of the challenge is to be all in. It is hard to be a fisherman and not be all in. Right? And, and I know there's people that are trying fishing, checking out, but like, if you're a commercial fisherman and you're out in the Bering Sea, you are all in. Right? It's not like, well, you know, there's 40-foot swells out there. I think I'm just going to sleep it off. I'm going to stay in the cabin today. I don't feel like getting up and fishing. No, this is your life. This is everything. You go out and you drop off your catch to get back out there and fish again. It is an all-in thing. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus tells us, He said to all, if anyone would come after me, in, any, in other words, if anyone would answer this call, the call of discipleship, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's this idea that, that we are all in for Jesus. Now let me say this also. If you are not all in for Jesus, that is okay. I'm really, I'm really glad that you are here this morning. It is okay. We see people in the Bible that they weren't all in right away. We see people like Nicodemus. Like Nicodemus comes like sneaking to Jesus at night. Hope no one sees me. Got a couple questions. I got a lot to lose here. And he begins to know Jesus. He begins to know him, to spend some time with him. And by the end, we see Nicodemus all in. Nicodemus is one of two people that got Jesus' body from the cross and buried it. And if you, the backstory is that was illegal to do. It could have cost Nicodemus everything to do that. But he knew he had to do it. And so the process, the idea of walking towards that, that is discipleship, is walking down the road. It's not that you start with it all together. It's not like when Jesus called Simon, when he called Andrew, hey, come be my disciples, because you already got it together. Because clearly they didn't. It was about learning how to be all in. It was about discovering who the master was so you could want and desire to be all in. You see, what we've done today is we've made discipleship optional. As Christians, we've made discipleship optional. Joseph Stonewell, who was the pastor of Moody Church, he says this. He identifies the problem of the modern church as this. We have become quite happy to call ourselves Christians with little to no thought of following. We're quite happy to call ourselves Christians with little to no thought of actually following Jesus. Uh, several years ago, Paul Harvey said this. He says, we've drifted away from be being fishers of men and become keepers of the aquarium. 
right? We care much less about fishing after the lost and much more about, hey, keeping the status quo nice in here, right? Don't rock the boat too much. Just keep the aquarium nice and pretty. You know, if you've ever gone to like Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's, you walk in there and they got that beautiful aquarium. My kids love it. It's awesome. You know, but that is not, we don't get to sit in there and go and drop our fishing line on top of that aquarium and try to catch some fish out of there. Those fish are caught. They're there. You know, we need to be out and be fishing. And again, it doesn't mean we have it all figured out. It doesn't mean we got it all together. We understand it and we got it and we're, we've arrived. What it means is that we are walking this road of discipleship. The second part of the challenge was to make disciples. I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Following fishing, the two of them went together. But Jesus said, I will show you, I will make you a fisher. It means there's a process of discipleship. From the very, very beginning, it was about following and it was about fishing. This is why Jesus was discipling them. He wasn't revealing truths about the kingdom, secrets of the universe to these disciples, allowing disciples to see him transfigured, just all of this amazing stuff so they can walk away going, wow, I am closer to God. This is awesome. I'm going to go live my life now. Like this was great. I am a better person for it. I'm going to heaven. This is great. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going back fishing for fish. It wasn't about that. It was about changing them to be like him so that in part they would change the world through discipleship. You see, Jesus begins his ministry with a call to discipleship. And then he ends his ministry with a call to discipleship again. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples uh, went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in the heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus, again, ends with the call and the challenge. The call was, hey, come meet me on the mountain. Guys, come meet me on the mountain. They head to the mountain. They didn't know they were going to get the great commission at that day. They didn't know that Jesus was going to ascend into heaven before their very eyes and, and leave. They just, they, they, there was a call and they answered the call. And what happens when they answered the call is they got challenged. Go make disciples. You have been discipled for this very reason, this very purpose. Go fishing, guys, but be fishers of men. You know, this changed everything. If, they wouldn't, if Jesus wasn't creating disciples, then the word of God would have died at this moment. They would have left, and there would have, this spreading of the gospel wouldn't have happened. If the disciples did not then go and disciple others, we wouldn't be sitting in this room today. We would have had 11 guys who got some great information and had lives changed and then ended there. It was always about going to create disciples. That was the plan. And then the, the other part is then we get to see the grace. The third part of discipleship is the grace. And the grace is this. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot be discipled and you cannot disciple on your own. And this is kind of a confusing idea, really. So you're saying, Josh, God has called me to do something I can't do. Yes. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. See, but Jesus doesn't call us to do super hard things just because... That's what he likes to do. Eh, this will be funny. Watch. I'm going to tell them to do something, and they can't do it. It'll be hilarious. 
right? It's like the dog chasing its tail. It's super funny because he can't catch it. So why did Jesus do this? Why did he call us to do something that we can't even do? Remember what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He was always bringing it back to himself. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. We have to rely on the master to be even able to talk about, to teach others about the master. It is to bring it all about Jesus. See, the problem is, here the big problem with a lot of us, and especially with me, is I can do a really good job on my own. To be honest, there's times in my life where I find myself discipling, I find myself going through scripture, I find myself being discipled, and I'm, I'm, I don't have Jesus involved in it. I got it, Jesus. I can do this. I'm really good at this. I've trained. I've been taught. I don't need you right now. You can go help somebody else. I got this. And the problem is when we start doing that, we A, stop looking like the master, but B, what we end up doing is, is I can even do good work, I can do good things, but we trade the great things that God has for us for the good things of life. And we're satisfied and we're content with the good things of life. And God's going, no, I got great things for you. But we have to bring it back to Jesus. See, for us to answer the call to step up to be in 100%, to be all in, really, I can't be all in on Jesus on my own strength. That's really hard. And it, it, it's kind of perplexing because, to be honest with you, there's things to be all in. If I am all in for Jesus, it means that there are some things in my life that need to change. And the problem is sometimes I don't want to change those things. I like them. I enjoy them. They're, they're not even always bad things. But there's this call that we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. And that means that sometimes that means there's things I got to lay down. I got to die to myself. Dying to yourself is never fun. It's never fun. But, but the, there's a paradox here. And the paradox is this. The things in life that we do try to cling on to so tightly, we're going to lose them anyways. And Jesus says it in Matthew 16, 25. He says, who would ever save his life, he's going to end up losing it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's things in our lives that, that need to change for us to be all in. But so often it's like, no, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to let go of that. But the thing is, it's going to, the, the truth is, the harsh reality is it's going to be lost eventually anyways. But when we can lose our life for Jesus, we'll find it. The great missionary Jim Elliott said it like this beautifully. If you don't know who Jim Elliott was, he was a missionary who gave his life for the gospel. When I say gave his life, he, he was killed by the people he was trying to reach. And he says this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When we're all in for Jesus, when we answer the call of discipleship, when we say, yes, Jesus, we gain something that we cannot lose. But hear me out. It does not mean we're just going to do it perfectly. We're just going to walk in and be amazing at it. So how do we do that then? How do I answer the call, Josh? If I can't do it on my own, if I have to lean into Jesus, if I have to, if I have to lean into the master, what does that look like? That's great, great that you said that, but what does that mean? <clears throat> In John 15, Jesus tells us this. I'm going to pull out a couple parts of John 15. I want to encourage you to go home and read the whole chapter on your own. But Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so to prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in me. It's like a commandment right there. Jesus is telling him, abide in me. You want to be my disciples? Bear fruit. How do you bear fruit? Be my di abide in me. And here's the second part about the grace. The grace is that you will never be alone. 
Although Jesus left this earth, and when he left the disciples, they were a little bit like, uh, what do we do now? But in John 14, 26, Jesus says, he says, The Helper will come, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring uh, your, to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. So we abide in Jesus, and when we abide in Jesus, what we're doing is we're allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work through us. I can't disciple anybody because I'm just awesome, even though I am pretty awesome. But I can disciple people effectively by allowing the Holy Spirit to work through me. And how do I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me? By abiding in Jesus. What does that mean? Abide in Jesus. Like, that sounds very cool thing for a pastor to say, so I'm going to go home, and tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, abiding in you, Jesus. I think I did. I don't know. I may have had an abiding moment there. Not sure what that even means or looks like. Well, the good news is, that Jesus goes on and continues to tell us what that looks like in John chapter 15. Again, remember, to be with Jesus is to be like Jesus, to abide in him. So Jesus tells us in John 15, verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we abide in God's love? Obedience. Through obedience to the scripture. See, I can read scripture all day long all I want, but if I don't obey it, who cares? I can spend time with the master all day, but if I don't do what the master says, it's worthless. How do we abide in love? Through obedience. Well, what are we to obey? The commandments? What what commandments are those? There's a lot of commandments. Jesus says this in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. In John 13, Jesus says this, People will know you're my disciples by your perfect theology. People will know you're my disciples by the amount of mission trips you go on. People will know you're my disciples by getting up early and cooking hot dogs and going down to Anchorage and, and feeding people. Those are all things that we do, but that is not how... Jesus says we'll, no, people will know that we're his disciples. Is it is what? If you love one another. This is my commandment, that you would love one another. You see, and it sounds so easy, and it is so not. He's not talking about loving the people that love you. He's not talking about, hey, you're best friends with this person. That's awesome. You guys love each other. Well, that's a good thing. It's corporately, all of us together loving each other. That will set us apart from the world. That will make us look different from the world. And the problem is is that we are not doing that well. I know this because I have a Facebook account. I can jump on Facebook and see a number of people in the unloving things that are being said. And and we think we're doing it good, right? But what we end up doing, we're complaining about my husband. I'm complaining about my wife. I'm complaining about my boss. I'm tearing down my coworkers. I'm complaining about the government. I'm, I'm tearing down the president. I'm tearing down Congress. I'm tearing down the judicial system. And there's no love involved in any of this. And so, therefore, we don't look any different than the world because that's exactly what the world is doing. But if we can love one another, we will look very different. And we can learn to obey that commandment. And when we're doing that, what are we doing? We're abiding in God's love. And what does that say when we do that? That means we're showing the world that we are disciples of Jesus. We need to learn to abide through obedience, through loving each other. 
So how, what is a disciple? How does this look practically in our lives? If I am to be a disciple and I'm a disciple somebody else, how do I do that practically? I want to I kind of wrap it up with this. Three ways. See, what Jesus does is he, remember, he calls them. There's the call. There's the invitation. And then there's the challenge. And then there's the grace. What do we need to do? We need to call people into our lives. When we call people into our lives, then now we need to challenge them. We're not great at challenging people because it's uncomfortable. And then when we challenge them and they fail, we need to give them grace. You see, Jesus had 12 disciples. I'm not Jesus. I don't know if I can handle 12 disciples. But I think I could handle five, maybe even 10 really well. See, it's not about just shotgun out to the masses. I mean, there's evangelism involved, and that's a little different than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is inviting people into your life to see it done, to live it out. Just imagine, if, if everybody at ACF, we're a church of around 700 people. Well, actually, 700 typically on a Sunday. We're probably more a church closer to like 900 people who come and call ACF home. And imagine if all of us grabbed three people and decided to disciple them, three people outside of our church. And we grabbed them and we said, hey, I'm going to disciple you. That's a big number. And then remember, to, to, to be a disciple is to be discipling as well or to work towards the goal of discipling. So then those three people each grab three people of their own. You see, the multiplication adds up quickly on that. See, it's about discipleship. It's not just about shotgunning approach. And there's times to like just be out and talk to people about Jesus on the street corners. I do that. I've done that. I, I believe in that. But a lifestyle of being like the master and calling discipleships into our lives. So how do we disciple others? We do it like this. We teach them by what we say, what we do, and how we live. What we say, what we do, and how we live. It's a three-prong approach to teaching and discipling. See, by what we say, we do need to have some biblical knowledge. We do need to be able to talk to people. But it doesn't have to be this great knowledge. What you need to be able to be is one step ahead of the person you're trying to disciple. Right? It's like, whoa, I just made this discovery. God just did this in my life. I'm here. You're there. Let me show you how I got to here. While you're working on getting to here, I'm going to work on getting to there, and I'll walk with God. And we're going to do this together. Right? I'm going to talk to people. It does take talking. It takes reading, being in Scripture to know, oh, Jesus says this. Oh, maybe we should do this. You know? And, and, and being discipled by somebody else, now they're teaching me how to get to here. Now I'm teaching them how to get to here, and we're moving along. Discipleship, by what we say, by what we do. Showing them how the kingdom of God works. You see, um, this is a little surprising to some people, but when you say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden you don't just have, have this knowledge, this is how you pray, and this is how you read your Bible. Right? And I think a lot of times we just kind of assume, oh, you said yes to Jesus, you got that part covered because you're a Christian now. You know how to read your Bible, you know how to pray. But no, you don't. Like, we show them. We talk to them. This is how you have an effective Bible study. This is how you have an effective quiet time with God. This is what it looks like. No, I would not suggest, you know, having a quiet time, you know, in front of ESPN. That's probably not effective, right? Sometimes it has been for me, I'm just going to say. But this idea of teaching them, this is how you do this. Show them. And then finally, by what we do. And I like to call this part immersion. By allowing them to be in our lives so that they can see us living out the kingdom of heaven, right? Allowing them to be around us when I'm disciplining my kids so they can see what godly discipline can look like for children. To allow them to be around when I'm having a discussion with my wife. It doesn't mean like, oh, hey, I'm having an argument with my wife. You want to come on over? 
But it means there's moments and there's times in life where I allow this to be seen and and understood and not just told this is how you do it, but they get to experience it and see it. Uh, My sister-in-law, she's a nurse now. And while she was in nursing school, she would go to class and she would learn things that she needed to learn out of a book from the mouth of a teacher. And then she would learn how to do things like, you know, give someone an IV. And so what they do? This is how you do it. Here's a potato. Here's a needle. Practice over and over again. And like my poor father-in-law, practiced over and over again on at home by his daughter. Dad, let me give you another IV. Practice shown. And then what do they do? They have clinicals. They go to the hospital, they get attached to a nurse, and they live that out for months on end. And they don't get told, they don't read about how uh, to deliver a baby. They don't just get shown how to deliver a baby. They experience delivering a baby and what this looks like. They experience someone crashing in the ER and what that's like in that culture and what happens. And through all of that, now she's a nurse and a really good one. See, it's not just one part of this that we do. It needs to be all of it in our lives by what we say and what we do and how, how we live. See, discipleship is not just for the elect. And I think as the church, we've think it is. It's like, oh, that, I am not a discipler. I don't disciple people. We'll leave that to the church staff. We'll leave that to my small group leader. We'll leave that to, no. To be a follower is to be a fisher. And, and maybe you are either working towards fishing, like, I need to learn how to fish, right? I can go down to the river and have a rod and some bait and cast away and probably not be very effective, Right, there is a season of, of that discipling, being discipled. But have you attached yourself? Have you gone and, and are you being discipled? And then there's, okay, now it's time to go fishing. Now it's time to get in the water and casting those nets out. It's not for the elect. It is for all of us. All of us. So my question again is, are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you are, who are you discipling? You see, I'm really excited that I also get to talk for just a moment this morning about an awesome group of people this uh, summer. About 30 of us went down to Mexico, and we got to kind of live this out. They got to see this in a microcosm, and it was amazing. And we got to go and do uh, incredible things. God met us so much when we were in Mexico. We had people that were just going out and like kind of walking down the streets and looking for people to meet, and they met them. And, and they met this like one particular story is a group of, of ladies were walking and they met this lady whose husband had just left her, left her with like all, everything, the, 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 the debt, the, the kids, all this stuff for another woman. And she's broken and doesn't know what to do with herself. She can't afford the next meal. And so these girls go back and they get a whole bunch of beans, they get a whole bunch of rice, they get a whole bunch of food, and they go meet her again and deliver all this food to her. And they're like, man, Jesus loves you. And they are teaching her and they are showing her about the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It was an amazing experience. And this was really cool. We we built a house for a family that didn't have a house. And the amazing thing that with that, as I've gone to Mexico many times and I've built many homes, but this was the first one for me. We built a home for a family that didn't know Jesus. That was awesome. Talk about immersion. They were, this family, this, this mother and her son were with our team for four days straight, all day long. And all the team did was build the house and just love on them, especially the son, man. That son was changed. 
He got to see love some, somewhat for the first time onto him. And he was immersed in this culture and this understanding that uh, who Christians were and what true Christianity looked like. And it was a short stint. I wouldn't necessarily say that we discipled them the whole time, but while we were there, man, we were discipling them and working on that. And I got to say this too. Thank you to ACF Church because you guys made that trip happen. It would not have happened without you. This church is equally responsible for what happened in Mexico. Even if you weren't there, it would not have happened without you. We had people who uh, came up to me and they said, hey, I want to pay for a student to go. Well, how much do you want to pay? All of it. It was a $1,450 trip. Okay, there you go. I want a student to go on this trip. Awesome. We had other people who, who, who just said, hey, I can't pay everything, but here, here's 50 bucks. Here's 100 bucks. Just give it to whoever needs it. So much money came in. We had other people that went, hey, you guys are building a house? Awesome. How much does that house cost? $6,800. Cool. Here's $1,000. Thank you. Right? Call us if you need more money at the end. Like, they, they, this was a long time ago. And then like, hey, right before the trip happens, if you don't have enough money for the house, let us know. We'll, we'll pay for the rest. They helped build a house. Man, we had dollar for change. And you guys came and you brought your dollars. And those dollars built a house, changed a family's life. And so all I can say is thank you, ACF Church, because without you guys, that would not have happened. And not only is it amazing that that team went and did amazing things and, and radically changed that family's lives. And if you want to hear those stories, I know the team would love to tell them to you. But not only did they disciple, but those group of teenagers, they are being discipled. They are being prepared to be sent out and become disciplers, honestly, by me. And not just me, man, I had an amazing group of adults that went on that trip to help and continue to help me in, in, in the ministry that I get to work, be a part of here at the church. And so there are opportunities to disciple. There's opportunities to be discipled. I want to challenge you guys. Are you being discipled? Are you a, are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you are, who are you discipling? Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you put the call out to us. God, thank you that you challenge us, but God, thank you for the grace, God, that is not in our own strength to do this. Lord, I pray that we would be able to go home and kind of take those hard looks and answer that question, am I a disciple of Jesus? And to be honest with that answer. And if the answer is really no, then that's great that we've come to that conclusion and now we can move towards that. If we are a disciple, God, please put people in our hearts that we can disciple, that we can bring into your culture of, of love. God, and teach us how to love one another. Thank you, Jesus. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.